0: A lot of people listening to this don't realize that you are the reason why we have been working on our Snoogus project. You confronted me at Game Fair and got the whole thing started. I mean, do you want to tell your version of
1: the story of that? Welcome to the DSD podcast. We have Alex Russo, owner of Flatland Flyways out of, Alex, is it Hecla, South Dakota? Yes, sir. Hecla. Hecla. Okay. Yeah. We we were going to start talking at some point about snow geese, but um, coyote hunting is really cool too. And,
0: and it's an important part uh, of, of uh,
1: snow goose preservation.
0: That's right.
2: No, I've been, i was scouted some coyotes this morning that we're gonna hunt on Wednesday. The wind's supposed to die down, um, but I've been watching them across from my house for a couple days now, so let them get comfortable.
1: Little do they
0: know. Yeah, you're about to rock their world.
2: Yeah, they're gonna have a fun Wednesday morning, I think.
0: How do you do that? Like a predator with a with an electronic predator call.
2: Yeah, so I I just got like. It, it, it was like a, I don't know, $40 um, Lucky Duck, kind of a 3D silhouette coyote decoy. And so they're all they're paired up right now. And so they're kind of territorial. And I'll put it out like 100 yards in front of me. And then I have a Primo's electronic call. And I play pup distress. And it's just been insane. We've called like 35 coyotes in the past, like five times we've went out.
0: Wow. Uh,
2: yeah, it's been it's been really good, really really good. So, and my buddies are here now um, for spring break for a week, and they've got suppressors, so it's a lot easier when you got three and four coyotes coming in to shoot them all because they don't know what's going on.
1: Hmm. Poor things. But,
2: well, they're worth eighty <laughs> to a hundred bucks. <laughs>
1: Is that right?
0: Even even this late in the season, because I mean, it's just so cold, they they stay prime and everything like that, and it's all good.
2: It depends if you get like females are kind of rubbed up, yeah, a little bit because they're mating. But like if you shoot males right now, they're they're pretty prime, and even the ones that are rubbed up, you still get like twenty five bucks for them.
0: And um, then, do you sell them I mean, whole or do you put them up yourself?
2: I, we tried putting some up and it's such a mess and it, I don't like my shop being dirty. Yep. Um, I kind have of a neat freak because of the military. So I, I just do carcass, just whole carcass. So.
0: Huh. That's awesome. Yeah. We, we our, our Western Oregon coyotes are almost worthless and the, the peak for them is in like late November um and then oh really yeah and then after that they they kind of start going downhill just cuz we got so much rain and everything like that And they get singed I, and rubbed and all that stuff
2: yeah i suppose with the moisture they try drying off and everything and mess their fur up
0: yeah but i i need to get on that program because uh a couple of places that i deer hunt there's massive numbers of coyotes and i need to i need to thin them back a little bit
2: well we should come out there and hunt.
0: Well, yeah. Um what I should do is I should go out there and hunt with you and learn how it's done and bring me my- I'm
2: I'm not a pro the guy that the guy our buddy that comes up from Missouri, he his brother works for Vandamore at Habitat Flats, so I met him there when I guided. Now we built a relationship and his little brother helps us. Well he's a pretty big predator hunter and he started giving me kind of tips and stuff. So he's here now. Uh, he came here yesterday and he, we're getting decoys prepped, but he's, uh, yeah, he's a smart coyote. He shot 17, um, in about a two week span or something by himself back home.
0: Right on. Well, that's so awesome too, that you can sell them whole because that's another thing that we don't, even, we don't even have an option for in Oregon anymore that I know of. Um, because I used to trap quite a bit. I used to trap mink and beaver. And uh there was an I I've always put up my own furs. I've never sold them whole, but um I know that that has been an option for a while in Oregon, but I don't think there's anyone anymore that buys them whole, but that's pretty cool that you can sell them whole. I'd be all over that.
2: The guy in Aberdeen which is about 40 minutes from here, he's been a friend of my dad's for 50 years. He's he's like the number 2 fur trader trader Excuse me, fur trader in, like, the world. So he does, he deals with Russia and China and all that. And so I go in there, and he's kind of a friend, so, like, he he helps us out. Like, some of them may, he might give us a few extra bucks than we should, but I talked to him the other day, and I said, hey, I've got, you know, seven or ten coyotes I want to bring in, plus we'll probably shoot several more. And he's like, yep, I'm paying 80 to 100 carcass. and I'm like, really and he's like yeah if you put them up they're like some guys are getting 250 bucks for them put up wow you know yeah 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 but it's just that the demand's so high because the numbers are down nationally um and like our winter's so bad right now that these things are just in survival mode so i mean you hit a call and have anything for them to look at i mean they're just I mean, we've had five packs running into 60 yards. We've had four packs, threes, pairs. It's just crazy.
0: Wow. Yeah, I noticed that um, even deer hunting this year, I was using, um at one, at one point, I used like a deer gland lure. And when I opened the jar, I was like, what the heck? This smells exactly like coyote lure, you know, like tra- for trapping. Um, yeah. And I couldn't believe how many, and I used cellular trail cameras. I couldn't believe how many coyotes came to that. But... <clears throat> when it would happen is if there was a drop in temperature. I mean, when it was super warm, they, you know, they would never show themselves. And then as soon as the temperature dropped, they just came out of the woodwork.
2: Well, we've had seven, well, today's 80, 80 days straight that we haven't had a temperature above 20 degrees. Gee. And so <laughs> our average, I think, was like negative 15, they said on the news for, for 80 days.
1: That's Aww. insane.
0: That's brutal. You're actually doing the coyotes a favor when it's this cold for this long. Kinda knock knocked the population back a little bit.
1: So good job, Alex. And and given I think the fact that there's like three feet of snow in South Dakota, I don't think anybody's really sure if there's actually going to be a spring snow goose season this yeah. year. So
0: Yeah, what about that, Alex? We're still
2: scratching our head when it's gonna happen.
0: Is it open right now?
2: The season the season technically is open. Um I mean looking at the forecast, the 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 projected forecast, I mean this weekend we're supposed to get, it says on Saturday, another ten to thirteen inches, but um it does show the following week it's supposed to get in the twenties and then they're saying it's supposed to be in the thirties, forties, and then kind of that last week of March it's gonna get back to the forty, fifty degree range. Um I I mean personally I don't foresee we're only six miles from the North Dakota border. I don't see, you know, a, uh, I guess I'll call it a huntable number of birds to be around until probably that last weekend, first weekend in April kind of thing. The so last weekend in March, first weekend in April.
0: Hmm. And how late does it go, Tal?
2: Well, actually, it used, last year it closed. It was like May. I can't... I can't promise I'm right, but it was, like, May 9th, I think, or 6th. And I worked with Game Fishing Parks here in South Dakota um, because we sometimes do have years like this um, where it's just crazy or we get storms in April or something, um, which kicks the birds back. You know, if they're here and we get a storm, kicks them back and kind of resets them as it thaws, they come back through. Well, we've ran into problems before where – you know, we've had some late juvenile geese so that are slowly migrating north and they're here past season. So, we actually got the season extended. I think it's extended out to May 20th. Hmm. Um, so, possibly we might need that this year. I don't know.
1: And, Alex, when is typically your your prime time? What would be typically the peak of the flight through your your portion of the state there?
2: Well, I mean... If you go off of, like, a timeline in my history of hunting them, um, I'll be 28 in April. um, And I've been hunting snow geese for, I would say, decoying snow geese the way that we do. I've done it probably for 13, 14 years. Um, Obviously, I grew up, like, with my dad, pass shooting and stuff like that when I was young. But, yeah, so 14, probably 14 years, I'd say. And over that 14 years, I'd say, on average, um, they get up here probably that third week of March. Um, The past four years have been pretty mild, so they've been up here as early as mid-February. But, yeah, that third week of March, and then usually, um, if there's a decent amount of juveniles, um, you can hunt them all the way until about the first week of May. But... Basically, the the prime time, I would say, is is those last two weeks in March and the first two weeks of April. That's kind of your best opportunity to see, you know, thousands of geese, hundreds of thousands of geese um, migrating and decoying, staging. And then that tail end, that kind of end of April, that's when it gets to kind of the grind where you have to actually get out there and put, you know, four or five hundred miles on your truck to find maybe a couple thousand juvies. Um, to hunt. That's kind of more, you'll see uh, a lot more like, I guess, hardcore guys or guys that have more time on their hands um, to do that.
1: I see. And, and so um, the, the gist of it is when it comes to spring snows, the adults are kind of on the leading edge of the migration uh, in order to get back mm-hmm. and, and establish nesting sites um, to the North. And then they're followed up in the end by the, by the non-breeding uh juvies is that right
2: yeah yep. so the lead edge is you know they're on a mission they have a purpose and that tail end um typically where the juvies are um they're kind of just like hanging out i mean we've had it where we've had you know juvie feeds around here 60 70 degrees you'd think they'd want to go north but they really they really don't push juvies don't push that hard unless there's a lot of hunting pressure. Um, And even then they might only move, you know, an hour and a half. If they get hit real hard, they might just move like an hour and a half North and then you can just keep chasing them. Um, The other thing is like years like this, where there's a real heavy snow line. Sometimes what happens is that lead edge or the lead edge and the, and the tail end, the tail end can kind of catch the lead edge and then they'll mix in. And sometimes that's a, it's a bad thing because what happens is the juvies get in with those adults and then they just kind of follow them. And that makes a short season because instead of having that gap where they don't have ease to really follow and they're just doing their own thing. Now they're with all the adults and they just kind of blow through.
1: Hmm. Interesting. So, um, I've heard reports that, uh, well, I, I can say for sure that the Pacific Flyway hatch on on snow geese, short of maybe the Wrangell Island snow geese was terrible this year. Uh, very, very few juveniles. And I've heard that it's at least that bad in the Mississippi Flyway as well. And I've heard that they really struggled, um, you know, down in Arkansas and Kansas and and, you know, a lot of the big wintering sites down south. Um, is, is that what the the reports have been that you've been getting to?
2: Yeah, so basically I, I've talked to a couple different people that are pretty credible guys um, that have hunted a lot longer than me. Um, and I think it was last last hatch, the problem was there was like some ice or something, I, is kind of what I gathered, that froze a bunch of the mess out or whatever. And needless to say, yeah, there's, there's not, there is not even close to the amount of juvies um, that we've had in the past you know, four or five springs, but, you know, like I've talked to several people, clients of ours, different hunters, friends, um, that have been Arkansas and Missouri all over. And at the end of the day, like our business, you know, we're, we're very honest with our, um, our clients as far as, you know, if we know there's a storm coming and it's gonna deplete their opportunity in any way, shape or form, we try to give them a heads up, um, if they can't shift dates, um, you know, we'll hold their deposit and then reschedule them for next year or send it back. However, however, people, if Mother Nature takes over and something doesn't line up right and it's out of my control, we try to make make it as honest and fair to our clients as we can. With that being said, like this year, with this amount of adults, we're not going to like, I know it's going to be tough hunting, but that's why I like snow goose hunting. That's why I'm obsessed with it, is because it's a challenge no matter what. Um, snow goose hunting I mean, arguably one of the hardest birds to hunt in the waterfall, I guess, category uh, to successfully decoy them over a long period of time. And I know that there's feats in all sorts of waterfall hunting, but snow goose hunting particularly is so attractive to me because it's... Uh, it's one of the things that you might have five really bad days and you have one good day, and that one good day takes you forever. And those five bad days, you try to figure out what you might have done wrong, whether it's your e-caller, the volume of your e-caller, the track you're playing, the way your rotaries are set up, where you're hiding. I mean, so it's, it, you're always learning, and I tell people a lot of times you can look all over the Internet, all over the country, and there's great waterfall hunters everywhere. Um, we are not by far the best. Someone's always better than you. Um, and I kind of live by that. But someone's always better than you, but I always strive to be better. And so snow goose hunting's kind of that thing um, that every year is so different. And so if you have a really good year one year, I always want to beat that year. And if I have a bad year, you know, when I get... I get beat by the snow geese and like, well, next year I want to do this. Um, and that's what makes myself and my guys um, really hungry for it. Cause it's just, it's such an accomplishment when you're setting that much equipment and spending that much time together in late hours, long days. It's just, when it all comes together, it's, it's, it's a reward like none other. I mean, shooting ducks, um, you know, mallards in a dry cornfield in South Dakota, it, it can be tough, but we're really lucky where we're at, the way that the landscape, the agriculture, the the opportunity that we have, that's not as much of a, a feat compared to snuggies hunting, just like honker hunting, you know, around here, we've got some really good honker hunting, but, and I still enjoy hunting all waterfall, but snow goose hunting, it's just that it's that constant stress of trying to figure out what you can do to be better, how you can hide better, um, how you can get in a better field or where you need to be. It's just, it's more exciting to me rather than a pattern. Cause you're mm-hmm. always. You know.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I can relate to that for sure. I would say with my own personal um, waterfowl hunting, I, I'm like that in terms of, how um, i kind of measure my success in how well the birds decoyed you know how well we've we finished them all the way to the ground and to me that's the ultimate reward is to completely fool a bird or you know a flock of geese um you know into into your your setup you know your your hide was good your your decoy setup was good. Your calling was good. You know you're in the right location, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And it's just super rewarding when it all pans out. And and it can be extremely frustrating. And um, we're in the middle of our late season right now, and we've had some some difficult hunts, but we had a pretty good hunt yesterday. And it's amazing how quickly you know your your attitude goes from um, uh, when you're in the middle of a grind. It can be negative at times for sure but it's 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 amazing to me how quickly my mood changes when when we have a good hunt mm-hmm.
2: well and like snow geese hunting i know i'm young but i've grown up in the era of this change snow geese hunting so when i started hunting snow geese with decoys it was like the Knutson and wood dowel um windsocks um and they're there was like Bigfoot full body snow goose decoys, but there really wasn't, I mean, there's some shells There was mainly windsock or Texas rig type hunting. And, you know, as it evolved and Avery outdoors and, and zinc made that video with Tony Vandamore and those guys. Um, and they came out with that full body, everything, everything changed. And as it's progressed, um, you know, one of the big things that a lot of people see is this like saving the tundra, um, shooting 100 bird plus days and all that. Now, don't get me wrong, shooting a 100 plus snow geese in a day is, it's unbelievable. It's fun. It's, it's powerful. It's just a rush. But like the way we run our company, um, and our lodge is, is kind of that. It's kind of like a a high-class hunt. We want to to take care of everyone um, to a different standard. We want to make you feel like family, part of our crew. Um, We want to feed you beyond excellent. We want five-star meals. And then the hunt, you know, we're going to do every bit of homework that we can. We're going to have the best equipment. We're going to have the cleanest equipment. And we're going to make sure everything clicks and run smoothly and then that kill that number you know yeah my goal is gotta to to get you to shoot as many geese as you can but my biggest goal is i want you to see finishing birds i don't want to shoot no geese it's 50 yards or 60 yards and spray 80 shells into them i just want to i want to decoy and if if, if you shoot 25 or 30 geese the whole day sun up to sundown but all those geese were you know, 25 yards or closer, that's more successful to me than shooting a hundred birds with 10 guns, just spraying into flocks. Um, and I know a lot of our clientele that, you know, we've had come back and shared many hunts with, they really appreciate getting to watch the bird work to its full potential versus all those are somewhat close. Let's just spray.
1: Right. Close, close enough.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, that that's awesome. And the thing is, is that, I mean, that's just smarter, anyways. And it, it educates birds less and stuff. And then also, you know, when you're just you know spraying shot up into flocks and stuff like that, I mean, you know, it, it, that's just not ethical. Um, you're just going to end up wounding a lot of birds and all that stuff, you know. But uh, but I, well, but that, that goes along with what you were just saying a little bit ago. The two It's just, you know, it's just so much more rewarding to. Take this bird that's extremely difficult to to decoy, and then decoy him. And you know, almost anyone can kind of you know the old Dennis Hunt quote. You know, lure him into gun range, and just start you know cutting into him, and you know hoping to break a wing. Uh, but it's just so rewarding to take a bird like that that's so so difficult to decoy and then decoy him and finish him right. So that's that's pretty awesome.
2: Well, I know last year we ran a we have a floater spread that we're testing. Last year we had a lot of ice, as do we this year, but we made some changes. Um, we planned some stuff out that should work. But we have 5,000 floaters that we set on a pasture pond, which a lot of snow geese use um low pasture grass areas as a loafing area in the midday. So they go feed in the morning and then they'll go, you know, whether it's a lake or a sheet water spot and some pasture short grass, and they'll just, you know, rest out there before they go out for the afternoon feed. Well, we put 800 floaters in last year in this this spot, and it was a test. I'd I'd never done it. I'd never hunted snow geese over water. It wasn't a roost. It was was just we were trying to traffic birds to this spot. And they decoyed. I mean, we were shooting 20 to 30, you know, in a day. Um, They decoyed all right. They are getting to that kind of 50-60 range, a lot of them, and kind of like unsure about it. Well, um, Mitchell and myself went back out. We threw another 1,800 decoys in there to make it look, I guess, more realistic how they would be. And it was like a light switch. And uh, we actually had a group of special operations guys here um, the first day that we had all those decoys. And so we had just about 2,500 decoys in there, 2,600. And, uh, yeah, those geese were, I mean, a foot off the water, 10 feet out, just finishing everything.
1: Hmm. Wow.
0: Sounds like fun.
2: Well, yeah. And so that when you do that, that that's my point to the, to the reward, like we keep talking about is when you, if you just give up, if you, if you get, let's say you go out and you just get your butt kicked, let's say it's for a whole week and you don't make any changes, changes or adjustments. Um, and you just give up, well, that's that's not how we run. You know, we want to figure out, well, what what can we do? And when that happened, I mean, that made the season. I mean, talk about a reward. And that's that's what keeps us going. That's why snow geese hunting is just something that, I guess, Flatland Flyways as a whole, that's kind of like our thing that we really love and look forward to doing is hunting snow geese in the spring.
1: And in our... Most of your hunts, Alex, out of pits in the spring over permanent setups Um, like that?
2: Well, that particular loaf spot has a pit um, where we can, you know, cook food and everything for you so we can... Oh, man,
1: I like it already. (laughs) Food?
2: Well, yeah. We (laughs) want to hunt all day on a loaf, you know, a, a feed... You you can hunt cornfields all day, no problem, and shoot migrators if they're moving. But, like, on those loaves, I mean, you have a lot higher chance all day to shoot geese. So we have a pit there, and then we've got a couple other pits, and all of our pits are from uh, concealed comfort, and we want to move a couple of them into some dry cornfields. We can't this year because it's going to be too wet with all the snow melting um but next year we're going to have three or four pit locations so that way that's just another additive to flatland flyways as far as if you're going to come and pay a premium price for a premium experience i want you to be comfortable and dry um and then the pit where the snow you spread is we have power so we can make something up in the crock pot the lodge will make some food and then we'll put the crock pot in there and coffee pot and you can charge your phone and everything like that or whatever, but so that way, if you're out there all day and guys, you know, some guys run businesses and have to return emails off their phone or whatever. I mean, at least you can keep your phone charged. You can have a bite to eat, drink some coffee. And that way it's, it's a lot more of a, I guess, high class experience versus um, laying in, which, which we do too, but laying in a, in a layout blind in the mud, it gets to be a long day when you sit out there for 10, 12 hours, so
1: Well, that sounds way better than laying in the mud to me.
2: Yeah. And our blind I mean the blinds that we run we get from Rogers and they've got a great rubber bottom so it's not like you're muddy and wet the whole time. It's just when you're walking around and stuff. It gets on your boots and then you get in your blind and then it's you know, you slide your feet in, it's all over the back of your legs and it's just not I like things clean and professional and tip top shape. Um, and so like those pits just add a whole different, I guess, echelon of, of relaxation and, and just pure comfort, um, to be able to hunt out of those and have heat, you know, if it's a cold, windy, snowy or misty day with rain, you can be underground, you're covered, you're warm, you're dry, it's a lot better.
1: Oh, and that's, yeah, that's, that's value added right there for sure. I mean, the older I get, the more I cherish that, you Mm -hmm. know, that comfort, that level of comfort.
2: I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm turning 28 in April and I used to do, when I was young, we used to take snow goose trips for spring break and roll in the mud and do all that. And now our whole mission of the way we hunt is comfort. And I'm just, I've done the whole crawling and brawling and mud and rain and I'd rather I'd rather be dry and dry and warm, so Heck yeah.
1: I am with you there. Yeah. A hundred percent. So
0: tell us about the lodge itself.
2: So the lodge was built back in two thousand fourteen. Um we started Flatland Flyways in two thousand thirteen. And the property that it sits on has been in our family name. Um, my great grandfather had it, um, and then my grandfather, and my dad. Well, it's been our name for I think it's 97 years now. They had a little hunting shack. They called it. It was just a, it was a small building with a wood wood stove in it or a wood heater. Um, and then they just had cots. And they came up here and would go out and pass you by the refuge because we border. Sand Lake National Wildlife Refuge and back then the snow geese would come off or Canada geese or ducks and they'd pass you. Well I grew up here with my dad hunting and then uh, after high school I went in the Marine Corps. Uh, I went to Afghanistan and Africa and then when I got back um, I had a back injury and I had surgery. I was 21 I had back surgery so I got Medically separated from the Marine Corps, which I was bummed out about because I really enjoyed that. Um, and so my dad and I just kind of started talking about, you know, my future, like what I want to do. And I just said, you know, I all we do is hunt on the weekend, and any day I have off, I that's all I do. I said, why don't we, why don't we share, you know, this piece of our pie with people around the, the country to come and enjoy South Dakota hunting. And so, we ran it the first year out of that hunting shack, which had been remodeled, so it was, you know, a nice place. Um, but it was just too tight. There's a one-bathroom facility. Uh, there's bunk beds and stuff. But it just it was too much for the guides and the clients to be in. Um, and so, we made a decision to, to dive right in and build a lodge. And we used the lodge for... Special events such as, you know, corporate retreats, wedding rehearsals. Um, I do firearms courses in the summer um, for women um, for concealed carry with pistols. Um, and then obviously we run our hunts in the fall and the spring, but the lodge can hold um, 12 hunters at once. And a lot of people say, well, why'd you, why you build a lodge that can only take or accommodate 12 hunters? Well, The reason for that is I've hunted long enough that I know two groups of six hunters, you know, in the fall, I can find a couple good fields to put those guys in good spots. If I have 40 or 50 hunters and let's just say there's five, five or seven different groups in my lodge at one time, I can't, I can't find five or seven fields that I'm going to go to bed at night knowing, Hey, these guys are going to have a good hunt tomorrow or an opportunity. So we built a, a little bit smaller lodge. Um, it, it's big in size, small in accommodations, I guess, for for people. Um, and it's family-ran. So, like, my dad, he's turning 70 in May. He should retire, but he won't. Um, he uh, He does all of our dishwashing. My mom does the cooking with my wife and then Mitchell's wife. And then... Mitchell's a lifelong friend of mine. I grew up with. He's um, kind of my right hand man up here. Uh, he guides. And then the other Mitchell that we have, he's longtime friend. He guides for us. And then we've got a couple other guys that are really good, really good guys, friends of ours for many years. And so it's a really tight knit, you know, family operation that takes a lot of pride in what we do and when people come, our number one concern is not, I know this sounds crazy, it's not about the killing of the birds, it's about the accommodation, um, and yeah, the hunt's very important to us, but we want to make sure that you absolutely, like literally when you leave, we want you not to leave and, and feel like you're like our friend um, and family, we have a lot of people that Text, you know, we, we text all throughout the year, um, send pictures of our kids, different events and things going on. So it's it's something that I, I really hold dear to my heart because when we developed it, it started extremely slow and we had to build a name for ourselves and the outfitting community is large and you have to really build a reputation and... I always wanted to get integrated back into the military being that I couldn't serve any longer than I wanted to. And we got hooked up with a group called special operations excursions. Um, and that's been unbelievable. We take out active duty, um, special operations guys, um, that are coming back from deployments and they come up here in a group and, uh, kind of like a decompression hunt for them and, we just have a good old time, and we do youth hunts. Um, we're really involved in in the communities that are around us with youth programs like trap shooting stuff. We we support a lot of the trap leagues and youth functions because we know that our sport, you know, isn't as popular as what it used to be. If you go off a statistical basis, I mean, we, we're losing a lot of hunters. And so that's very important to us in the lodge is to keep kids, you know, in the sport and wanting to be in the sport. Um, but it's just cool because obviously you can hear me talking nonstop, but I like people. I like learning about people. I like to know where you came from, who you are. Because um, everyone's – every single person that we've had come to the lodge, um, whether it be for hunting, special event, whatever, I mean, Everyone's got a story to tell, and I just like to—I like to hear people's, you know, story and what—what's made their life a certain way, whether good, bad, tough. I—it's just that—that that makes you feel a little bit of purpose to to take care of someone and provide service to them. Um, it's like a little bit of self worth when you wake up in the morning. So when you get up at four, it's not as hard, you know. When I hunted with my buddies. You get up at 4, you might be tired. I'm like, well, I ain't going to go hunt today. I'm just going to sleep. Well, now you've got a responsibility to take care of these people and show them an opportunity that they can't just go see at home. So you get up and you shake it off and you're excited. I mean, you look forward to, you know, you think in your head, you're like, what can I, what is today going to be like and how can I make this so awesome that these people talk about it for the rest of the the year or any time they bring up hunting? I want him to be like, you know, I went to Flatland Flyways once, and we had these ducks. They were landing all around us, and they were ten yards from us when you called the shot. And that's that's what keeps us, you know, so hungry and and ready to to take on any clients, um, in any situation. So
0: that's awesome. Yeah, that's 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 a great attitude too. I mean, like in our area. We don't have that kind of opportunity. We have some pretty good opportunities, and even some spring opportunities. But I, you know, I I meet a lot of people that say, you know, our our goal is to, you know, someday um, go on a spring snow goose hunt. And so, you know, you you might get somebody from Oregon or Washington or California or something like that that comes out there, and it might be their one and only opportunity of their whole life. And you know, if 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 a guide or outfitter kind of took took what they had for granted. Um, it's like, well, it might be good this week, or not that good the next week, or whatever. Um, and it might not make that much of a difference to them. But, like in your case, you know, knowing that people that we send over there, um, it could be the it could be the one chance of their whole life. And if you're working that hard to, you know, and making it that that a priority to be, make it a really good hunt, that that's that means a lot. That's a, that's awesome. Well,
2: and it's. It's one of them things, you know, I've, I've been really fortunate, you know, I grew up in a a family that, that loved me, supported me and my brothers. Um, you know, my parents didn't really drink at all when I grew up. So there wasn't my, I wasn't, you know, you hear people that have abusive parents or, or whatever. I, I never had that. So I had a really, really good childhood. I have great parents and, they've always trusted and supported me in anything I've done and so I think that is a big portion of it that I've grown up knowing like, okay, you respect people and you work your butt off and you might you might not see a return for five or ten years, but if you do the right thing and you and you work hard you're gonna you're gonna get the return at some point. And so like when people come um, and they're spending the amount of money, you know, like a snow goose hunt with us Right around two thousand dollars for three days at the lodge. If you're willing to pay me that amount of money, and you're putting that amount of trust in me to to provide an opportunity for a lot of times, you know, a dad and a son, or maybe some buddies. I mean, I'm I I I take take it very seriously when people do that because I used to travel when I was younger, you know, with my family, and we went to you know, football games or the ocean or whatever, you know, you remember those trips because when you go to those hotels or resorts, they take care of you. I mean, they just, that's all, that's their job. They just take care of you. It's customer service. And so it really stuck in my head, you know, as a kid growing up and I appreciated it. You know, when you, when you spend that amount of money to go on any trip, you should be taken care of. Um, and so I, that's one, one thing I've really tried to do my best on here at Flatland Flyways. Um, and then the other, the, the major thing, um, to me is being in the Marine Corps, you know, I learned a lot of different things, um, as far as discipline, um, logistics, respect, doing things that are honorable, standing by what you believe, um, and, and doing good things that, you don't always get recognized for that's a that's a big thing to me um you know I don't I don't discredit anyone but I'm I'm a big guy like I don't I don't want to ever be I guess someone's like idol or poster child as far as like I don't want I don't want to be some like or labeled as like a professional hunter you know and what I mean by that is like I'm just a guy that was born into an opportunity into a good family that's supportive, that had a dream to start a guide service, which is family supported and helps, it helps very much. So, so I don't want people to think of me as like, or, or my company is all oh, these guys are, uh, these guys are great. They're the best. They're professional. No, we're just, We're a group of people that want to provide a service to other people that maybe aren't as lucky in the fact that maybe they don't have as much, you know, opportunity or time on their hands. Maybe their job doesn't allow them to go out and hunt all the time. Well, I want to be that guy that has that available and that can share it with other people. And so, you know, the Marine Corps, I carry very dear and close to my heart as far as all the things that were instilled in me when I went through, you know, boot camp and and deployments, things like that. Like, I wanted to come home and I wanted to run something that was very honorable, that people can trust, and that people know that, you know, whether they come and hunt with us or whether they hear about us, they can say, yeah, those, you know, those guys, they they do it right. And that's how it is, you know, growing up when we would go to different places to, like, for instance, we're big Chicago Bear fans because my dad grew up in Chicago. When we'd go to Chicago, we always stayed at the Hilton right by the stadium there, and we'd walk to the game. Well, we always went back to the Hilton. Why did we always go back to the Hilton? Well, they treated us extremely nice, the accommodations were great, and the rooms were fair. So knowing that as a kid growing up, and then going in the military and going through that experience and then starting a business like this where you have responsibilities that are endless. You've got federal laws you got to follow. Um, you've got responsibility of people you don't know with firearms that you have to take care of. Um, you've got elderly people that you have to be responsible for if, if there's a medical issue. You've got kids out there. You've got dogs out there. So I took everything as my childhood growing up through the Marine Corps and I said, you know, I've experienced quite a bit, quite a bit more than probably the average kid has. So instead of me taking that and saying, I've done this, I've done that, I'm going to take that and go, okay, I've learned this and I've learned that. And now I need to take my business and I need to represent those same core values from the military that I learned in the same experiences that i got to be exposed to as a kid and now i have to represent that through my company because i can't afford to not be the best person and the best version that i can be
0: right on that's awesome um they it's 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 almost funny to hear you talk so much about the service end of it it's great it's great that you that that is a priority and stuff but what what you guys have a good reputation for is just being killers. Like, and so you're not talking much about that. That's probably just being, being modest, but I've heard, I've heard from a lot of people that you guys are killers and I've also heard that the meals are spectacular. Like, like as good as you can get at any, any restaurant anywhere.
2: Well, I can't take any credit for the meals. That's the girls. (laughs) Um, I can make some scrambled eggs and toast, but, um, no, the girls, I mean, they do. I, we do special events. Like I said, we, um, we, Hecla has a population of like a hundred and some people. So we're in rural South Dakota. And so there's not a lot of opportunity around here. So, you know, my mom always wanted to open a restaurant cause she's an amazing cook. She is. That's not me just saying that cause my mom, but she is. And she always wanted to open a restaurant and I said, well, here we go. I mean, you can cook at the lodge. There's your restaurant. I'm running my deal. Perfect. So we started doing some events and we do meals in the summer, like throughout the week for the community that they can come, you know, to a good restaurant and get a a quality meal, which a lot of food around here not to bash anyone, but a lot of it's, you know, local cafe, bar food or something, um, so, yeah, the food, I mean, she, I, I, I personally, I don't, I like jerky, like, <laughs> like duck and goose jerky. I don't like eating a duck breast, but my mom makes some duck up the collage that even, you know, even I eat. Um, so, I mean, she does, my mom, Megan and Elizabeth are the three that take charge of the desserts, the meals, all that. And they do an excellent job. And... As far as the killing, I mean, honestly, I'm, I'm going to be modest here. I mean, we're, you want to talk about the perfect scenario. I mean, like I said, I grew up in a great family, all that, I had opportunity, they're supportive. Well, not only that, but where I grew up hunting is one of the best areas in South Dakota you can be at. And it just so happened. I mean, that's, that's where, that's where I landed, I guess. And Growing up here as a kid, you know, I drove my dad's four wheeler around to these farms when I was 10, 12 years old. And I just knock on doors and say, Hey, can I go you know, shoot some teal with my dad? Or can I go shoot some dark mallards over here? And I built these relationships over, over time. And, uh, it's just a great area. And it kind of, it just happened that way. And now it's like, yeah, we, I mean, we, our, our, ducks, our ducks hunting, I mean, it, I'm not trying to brag, but I mean, it is. it it is, It's second to none. I mean, when the ducks are here from that middle of October to end of November, I mean, it's just, it, it's insanity. It's, it's unbelievable. But, you know, we do do our homework. I mean, we know where to, we need to be. We know, we kind of know as the weather changes, kind of what they're going to do, um, when to hunt them. I know there's sometimes this has happened Dozens of times, actually, where, you know, it's going to be a frosty, cold morning, and the ducks will not leave the refuge. They'll sit there to keep the water open because it's so cold. And we'll tell guys, you know, clients, hey, we're not going to hunt this morning. We're going to hunt this afternoon. And a lot of guys, when they hear that, they're like, well, what the heck? Like, that's weird. And then you go out in the afternoon, and then for an hour and a half, they come off the water to feed, and it's just a lot more of a successful hunt. And so, growing up hunting here and learning that stuff, just as much as I came out to Oregon and hunted with you guys, I'd have no clue what was going on. I'd have to relearn everything from you guys.
0: Well, we'd um, we have no clue either, though.
2: Yeah. <laughs> we, we would be. <laughs> but <laughs> it's, it's just a different, it's a, it's a very unique area. It's a lot of corn. We don't. I mean, we maybe do 15%, 20% water hunting. A lot of guys aren't used to that. But a lot of guys come here for that reason, because they want to shoot ducks in a dry field. They've never seen that. They've never experienced it. And so the magnitude of a hunt in a dry cornfield, you know, and we'll just say the peak, you know, mid-November, I mean, there's a lot of times you're hunting 60,000 ducks or 40,000 ducks in a dry cornfield.
1: Wow. And you're getting
2: flocks. I mean, you're getting flocks of, thousand to five thousand ducks at one time coming into five yards and so that's that's probably where people say we're killers um in like snow goose hunting i mean we've we've done i mean i would say maybe being biased we've done pretty dang well over the past five years doing it um as far as knowing migration lines and setting permanent migrator spreads and chasing juvies. I mean, we've had a pretty, pretty dang good run. Um, this year might be a little humbling, but (laughs) we'll see what happens. Um, but I think that, I think the thing that a lot of people need to understand too with like outfitters is, um, like who, it's not just who it is. It's just the fact of they need to understand that like outfitters do kill a lot of birds because they have a lot of resources, you know, they can, they can rent ground and their entire life revolves around it. So it's not like I don't have a job Monday through Friday. And then I just get to scout on Friday. Like I scout every morning, every afternoon, and every evening before they go to bed. And when you've got that much time dedicated to something, um, you really learn a lot and you get pretty efficient at what you do. And that's why a lot of people ask is, why don't you do pheasants or deer? Because South Dakota is known for pheasants obviously. Mm-hmm.
1: Well,
2: I want to hone in on one thing and I want to just crush it. So I want to know everything I can or possibly can gather about mallard ducks and dry cornfields. I want to know everything I can about early season wheat hunts, you know, wheat stubble hunts for Canada geese and, and and what temperature changes do and, you know, wind and sun and things like that. Those are all things that you learn after doing it time and time again. That's what I want to do because I don't want to spread myself out and have to be efficient at two or three different things. I want to be efficient and reliable on a, the one thing that I'm picking out, and that's waterfall
0: hunting. Right on. Well, and so that and the the duck hunting happens at the about the same time that the pheasant hunting would be happening. Happening, isn't that right?
2: Yeah, and so then I'd have to have more dogs, more help, and it's kind of a safety thing for me too. And that maybe it's a little bit of the military. It's just in, in the blinds or the pit, you you're so close to each other that I mean, you're not going to have guys point guns at you. T- I mean. Yeah. We're very strict on safety. But when you've got guys walking a field and there's guys at the other end and people get excited and they get tunnel vision. I mean, pellets are flying every that. Just, I don't like that. <laughs> yeah. I don't like.
0: And do you guys have big deer around there?
2: Yeah, we have, we have really, I mean, like I said, we boarded the refuge here, San Lake National Wildlife Refuge. And I mean, there's, 150 to 200 inch class whitetails yeah that there's a lot of big deer up here
0: and are you um but, and so do you do you deer hunt or pheasant hunt um just you know yourself for fun
2: well this year the ducks left a little earlier than normal so i did deer hunt but usually i make it in a box line for about an hour and then i see ducks coming off the refuge and i go find where they're feeding <laughs> it so,
1: sounds um, like i would do yeah yeah
0: and what about like shed, shed hunting or something? Do you do you guys go shed hunting? Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, we do, we do some. Uh, Mitch, the other Mitch, Mitch Johnson, who works for us, um, he's a he's a big deer hunter. Um, I mean, he's he obviously helps us guide, but he more uh, he's he likes to, setting up, picking up, scouting, but he's more of a passionate deer hunter, and he does a lot of shed hunting and everything. So.
0: And then which which. Mitchell, do we know that uh, have we met?
2: Babcock. Okay. Mitchell Babcock.
0: Okay, and that's the one whose his wife works at the lodge and all that stuff, right? Correct. Yep. Okay. Yep. Yep. And then, yeah, a lot of a lot of people listening to this won't don't realize that you are the reason why we have been working on our snow project. You, you, um, you confronted me at a uh, game fair. And got the whole thing started. I mean, do you want to tell your version of the story of that?
2: So basically, if someone says they haven't heard about Dave Smith decoys, they're lying. And so, I mean, when I was growing up, it was actually I got back from boot camp and I came home for Christmas. And my dad, I'd always talked about your your Canada decoys. And he surprised I didn't even... I mean, that was four years before this, that Christmas that happened. And he surprised me with a dozen of your, your, uh, big Canada's. And I remember when I, my buddies and I, you know, we, we'd put them out in our decoys all the time. And actually what we'd do is we'd set a spread and we'd always put the days out like in the hole to try to get them to finish the most realistic decoy. All right. Um, And so when I saw him, you know, that was years ago. I was like, God, these decoys, this guy is just on it. Like, these decoys, you might as well have stuffers. I mean, that's basically as real as you can get. And over the years, we've always kind of joked about it. That I'm like, oh, I should talk to, you know, Dave Smith and have him make a snow goose decoy. And we somewhat thought it was a shot in the dark because we were kind of like, well, you know, he's, he does his thing to a professional level that he's not going to care about some guys from Hecla that want a snow goose decoy. And come to find out, we're at Game Fair in Minnesota, and uh, Mitchell brought it to my attention. He said, Hey, Dave Smith, decoys is down the way. You should go talk to him. And I said, Well, is, is Dave actually there? And he said, I think so. I think I saw him. And so when I came and met you guys, um, Obviously the first thing when I when I meet someone in a company is is I try to see, you know, the professionalism and then the relatability so like how how the conversation goes if you're actually interested in talking to me or if you're just being polite. I mean it was right away I could tell we were we were having a real conversation. I said, Well God, this guy you know, these guys are down to earth and uh I went back to the booth and I remember telling my wife, I said, Yeah, I just met Dave Smith. And I said, uh, they kind of, I think, are interested in what I said. And she said, really? And I said, well, I think so. It's, it really seemed like it. And uh, basically, the reason why I, why I picked you guys was because, like I said earlier on in this conversation, is I want the best equipment. Now, I'm not trying to disrespect any companies that make decoys because there's good decoys all over. I'm, I mean, that it's just there's there's affordable decoys. There's good decoys, but then there's that next level of decoy, and that's you guys. And I want Flatland flyways to 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 have that kind of separation, where it's like you know we kind of have the tip of the spear equipment, so that that way, you know, let's say we go out and the birds just aren't working. Well, I can't blame it because I'm using Texas rigs. You know, if I'm using a Dave Smith Snow, snow Goose or Blue Goose Full Body, I mean, I'm, I'm doing them as much as I can to have the best-looking spread for my clientele. And obviously, when this conversation kept going on the decoy, and now we're at the point we are, it's super exciting um, because I think it will make it a, a difference. And it's just – I like support companies – that are good on customer service, real people, and that actually care about what they do and stand behind their product, and all three of those credentials, obviously you guys have excelled at, and so it's extremely exciting, and honestly, if you would have asked me five years ago, I would have laughed in your face if i would have if you would have told me this would be happening the way that it is, but hmm. well, I just happen.
0: I just remember like what, you know, one of the things that I picked up on in our conversation was that you were really super passionate about it. And like that, that always kind of gets me going. Um, when I'm, you know, I've, we have a lot of people that talk to us about ideas for new products or something that they want or something. And, um, you know, probably the two things that really get me going are people who are really passionate and who I can tell that they, you know, this decoy or that decoy would really make a, you know, make a difference for him if, if we did it and did it right. And then another thing that I'm really kind of attracted to is people who are extremely critical of, <laughs> of, of everything we do. And I, I have a couple people that I've stayed in contact with for years and years and years that just are absolutely critical of everything. And one of them I'd have to say is John Triforis and in Canada and he's probably the reason why we made a one piece honker and he's my good friend and um that guy just absolutely I mean he nothing gets by him like any tiny little mistake and he's on it and all over it and that's super helpful from from our end um because that's how we can you know make improvements and stuff but i just remember talking to you and you were saying that you you know you wanted a pretty good A pretty good number. I think you said you know three thousand or five thousand right off the bat, and I was thinking, wow, these guys use use a lot of decoys. But then (laughs) later I found out that that's only a very small part of your total number of decoys.
2: Part of that order or that initial conversation was we run GHG um, snow and blue decoys. I don't since they came out. I forget what year that even was, but long time and. I have not a bad thing to say about the decoy um, or any company that I've dealt with retaining those decoys or ordering them. Um, not a bad thing to say. And honestly, they've been efficient. They've been, they're, they're they're kind of small. So they fit in our seed bags really well to transport them. They've got a great motion system. They're durable. But I was like, God, I I want something more realistic and something that, I could possibly run less of them and get the same outcome. So instead of running 1,500 or 2,000 per spread, maybe I can get by with 1,000 or 1,500 per spread and have more realism. And so I think that's a big thing because when we started this conversation, and obviously friends of mine um, kind of, heard about or figured out what was kind of going on through like when you guys re- released photos and stuff with a new Snoses decoy. And they're like, oh, those are, you know, how are you going to run a spread of them? They're, that's not where you can get way more decoys if you go to hardcore or GHG or whatever. And it's like, yeah, but the fact of the matter is the longevity of that decoy might outlast the other decoys by, you know, a few years. And you might have to use less. So what that does now is, thinking outside the box and kind of thinking about you guys is how can we make a decoy that's affordable, real, the best decoy and that can get in other people's hands other just than myself. So like, yeah, I want, I want my order obviously. And I want to run them, but I also want you guys to have people wanting to buy them. And if guys can buy 500 Dave Smith snow goose decoys or blue snows and blues and be successful. Now they understand, well, I don't have to buy 3000 wind socks or whatever. Yeah. And that was kind of, that was kind of the thing. Um, when we talked, I know initially we were like, well, how are we going to make them affordable? Are people going to want them? Um, I just think that pure realism and durability that sells because if it works and they do have longevity of, of a lifespan, it's that's the thing in the snow goose industry that I've found out the little amount of time I've been in it. Anything that's new and it works, it's it's like a must-have. I mean, I've got, I don't know how many Spillow Sock Flyers i bought in my lifetime, but it's like when they came out with the Rotary and the Spillow Sock Flyers, I mean, Every snow goose hunter had to have one. Every single snow goose hunter had to have one. Well, with this particular decoy, you know, the realism and the durability of it, I got to have them. And that's why I had the conversation with you is because buying bulk amount of decoys and selling them every year, or every two years, I mean, it just, it's just a never ending process. So if I can get a quality decoy that's real and it. Helps my success for myself and my clients, and it's with a company like you guys, and I get to deal with people like you guys. I mean, come on, you got to be stupid not to do it.
0: Hmm. Well, and I remember you 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 saying that you would like to, you know, buy our current Snow Goose, which is all you know. What we've done for a Snow Goose uh, up to this point is just take our Lesser Canada Goose and paint it as a Snow, and we have. Pretty, a pretty loyal following with those, um, not massive numbers of them obviously and stuff, but then you were saying, well, you want a bunch of those, but you want, a, um, a percentage of them painted as blues. And at that point I kind of thought to myself, um, I just can't see that. I mean, that, that lesser Canada paints up pretty good as a snow, but it wouldn't paint up very good as a blue. And I was like, well, if you're going to order that many decoys, let's just do this right and do a dedicated, you know, snow sculpture. Um, and just, you know, just do it, do it right. So now here we are working, you know, working on it. And it, it has been, you know, a long, tedious pro, you know, process and it's, it is taking us a long time. Um, and a lot of that is because we do want to do it right, but we also want to make it affordable. And uh, we want to be able to, you know, make enough of them so you know we're having to kind of think outside the box and do some things we haven't done in the past and it's it's difficult but i hope hopefully it will be worth it in the in the long run and hopefully we don't let you down and you know i kind of feel like in some ways we already have because you know i know that you would love those decoys for for this spring and um you know i feel bad how kind of how long it's been taking uh but hopefully uh, we'll, we'll get it, get it right. And it'll, it'll be worth it in the long run.
2: Well, i like, I, I know Brad and I talked, I think it was last week and I told him, I said, well, you know, good things take time. And it's, it, 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 honestly, it mirrors, it mirrors our lodge. I mean, the first, the first couple of years, I mean, I'll be honest, we, we didn't have barely anyone, you know, coming here and, the marketing in the outfitting world is is tough. I mean, to compete, why people probably sit there and think, why would I pay Flatland Flyways two grand for three days at their lodge when I can go to, you know, this guide service for X amount cheaper? Like, why? Well, good things take time, and now we've developed, you know, a, a reputable company so far and that's the same thing with these decoys you know i i honestly would probably be a little bit more nervous if you six months later all of a sudden you had five thousand decoys ready i'd be like uh did you rush (laughs) them yeah so taking the time like this i mean would i love to have them in the field for a spring like this with this many adults yeah it'd be an excellent year to test them um but I also know that you taking this amount of time and the conversation I had with Brad last week, I mean, I know that what I'm going to get and what is going to be released is going to be pure quality, just like your Turkey decoys, your duty decoys, your goose, all that. I mean, I, we run, obviously, you know, we run your guys' Canada goose decoys. Now we, we transfer all of our Canada goose decoys to, to Dave Smith and, uh, there's a reason for that. I knew that when that product was going to show up at my door, it wasn't going to be open the box and half the decoys are scratched or chipped or what, you know, flocking's coming off. I knew that when I pulled it out, it was going to be ready to go to the field. And if you looked at them today, we've used them for two years, you would think that they just came last week. So right that speaks volume.
0: That's good. That's great to hear.
2: But I do want to come out and shoot a net collar.
1: Oh man. (laughs) Yeah. Well, we would love to put you in front of one, but, um, you know, that's, that's one of those things, you know, a lot of people, um, I think it, I think it's hard to convey just how difficult that, that situation is, that scenario. Um, you know, we've been really fortunate over the years. We've, you know, we kind of, we, we've been here hunting birds. I, I know I have in the Valley for 25 years now, um, been really passionately chasing geese and we've been here, you know, during these, these banding mm-hmm. studies. And, um, there's certainly been, you know, times like peak populations of banded birds when having somebody come out and, and putting them in front of a neck collar is certainly, I wouldn't call it probable, but, you know, very, very doable. You still have to find it. You still have to pick it out and <clears throat> spot it and shoot it. But, uh, boy, any more right now, it's, uh, it's tough. <laughs> it's, it's really tough. Have,
0: have, after you just saying that, though, uh, Justin Kazmaier hunted this weekend, and from what I understand, he had a pair of cacklers come in, and one of them was colored. And I was thinking, as long as you and I have hunted, Brad, have you ever had that happen? I mean, it, we've always said that it was going to happen
1: someday, and it's never happened to me. But on, on cacklers. If we're talking about on cacklers, I don't remember that ever happening, but you know, maybe on honkers right? Um, oh, or lessers.
0: Once. But, I mean, it's like if, if, if there's a caller in a flock of 50, you feel like you just got so lucky, you know? Yep. Um, but it happens, I guess, once in a while.
1: Yeah, cackler, cacklers and cackler collars would be probably fairly similar to what, you know, you guys had back in the central and Mississippi flyway white birds for many years, you know. You know, you glass a big enough flock of birds and there there's gonna be one or two in there. But um, you know, you might have to look at five or ten thousand.
2: So, yeah, no, I've we've shot a few collars. We actually shot I was fourteen my dad shot one right north of here on a on a Canada banded in Nebraska and then uh two no three years later I was hunting fifteen miles south of here about just about the same week in that September season and I shot uh same color collar, same banding site, three years apart and about fifteen miles apart.
1: Hmm. And and those so were white collars on honkers.
2: Green. They're oh. green collars. Huh,
1: that's cool. Yeah. Where were they from?
2: They're from Nebraska. Oh, okay. I don't ask me any of the reasoning. I have no clue. But yeah, I'm looking at them right now. There's two two green collars. Both of them got shot, so they're glued back together.
1: Hmm. That's one colour I've never shot is green.
0: Yeah, on either. a collar. Yep. I thought I thought you did, Brad. I thought you I thought you went to Utah and shot some green collars. or
1: the uh, that was yellow. Oh, yellow, yeah. And Co- Colorado did some green years ago. Colorado but, did green. Kansas did green. I know Michigan's done green. I didn't realize that Nebraska had done green. Or maybe it
2: was maybe it was Kansas. Honestly, that you say that
1: now. Yeah, I know not, that they I did. It was they did green ones in the Cheyenne bottoms in Kansas. I know that. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. No,
2: they, it was just cool because it was three years apart and 15 miles apart, and all, almost. I mean, it was within seven days, you know, of the three years prior that they were shot in that early season. So it was pretty,
1: hmm.
2: pretty unique. But
1: yeah, that's very. Honestly, cool.
2: I've seen for all the snow goose hunting we've done. Um, I've honestly, as long as I've guided, we've never. I've never had a client or any of us shoot a net collar out of the snow goose spread for five years really yeah a lot of leg bands i know two years ago we shot like 23 leg bands but um other than that i've not yeah i haven't seen i've seen callers on you know geese at refuges and stuff like when we were down at Squaw creek a few years back we watched a couple net caller grassies but i haven't seen any die in our spreads for a long time Uh uh-huh but i heard they I heard they quit correct me if I'm wrong, I heard they quit collaring a lot of birds because they were freezing up and then they were suffocating from the ice in there and I heard they just started putting white collars on rossies because a lot of guys were like shooting them out of their trucks with rifles or something
1: uh yeah, you know i who knows what to believe but i I've heard several several different um stories one one account i heard was that that um there was an issue with uh with the collars um in really really cold conditions uh and ice drowning birds that were that were roosting on on lakes with lots of chop during you know cold spells the 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 neck collars would would gather more and more and more ice until eventually they would get to the point where the bird's neck was weighted down so heavily by the ice that it would actually drown the birds. And I heard, I th- I thought it was um, on Swan Lake that there were, there were some massive die-off of neck-collared birds. I heard it was like several hundred birds even when um, it happened I don't know a dozen, fifteen years ago or, or or so. There was like a million snow geese on Swan Lake and and there was a there was a storm that came through and several hundred collared birds were found drowned. But um I don't know if that's true or not. I've also heard that they stopped collaring them uh, because guys down in the south, like, um, I've heard Arkansas is pretty bad. Guys with rifles shooting them.
2: I have to make a correction, too. It's not Squaw Creek. It's Wallace Bluffs. I don't want to be politically incorrect there. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: yeah, that's like our, we have a, we used to fish for squawfish. squaw fish here. They they eat salmon and steelhead smolts, and so they actually pay, the um, Bonneville Power Administration pays people $8 apiece to catch them. And now they had to change the name to Northern Pike Minnow, because Squawfish was not politically correct. You're kidding me! (laughs) I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Well, and just like an old Squaw, you know, I used to shoot those, um, and they're they're now called a long-tailed duck. So yeah, you can't use the word Squaw. And
2: nowadays, nowadays they're just about ready. They're going to have to rewrite Webster's Dictionary. All the changes they've made.
0: So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, don't give them any ideas, Alex. Now that now they're going to do that.
2: I, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, since we're eliminating cow farts in the new the Green New Deal, um, I guess <laughs> while we're at it, we just eliminate the the term cow from. Yeah. From Webster's Dictionary altogether, right? Hey, that, is that, that become becoming offensive?
0: That Green New Deal is only 90, yeah. $93 trillion. I mean, come on. Oh, sign me up. Yeah.
2: Yeah, what did they say? They said, uh, well, she said that the world's going to end in 12 years, but the Green New Deal is a 10 year plan. So I know it was some senator. He said, uh, said, well, if the world's going to end in 12 years, why even worry about the 10 year plan? We'll just let it ride out for 12 more years and be done. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, and I think that's, a, that's the reasoning between, behind the $93 trillion. It's like, well, you know, we don't have to worry about paying it back because we'll all be dead. Anyway, so. Put it on the old credit card. Uh, yeah, that's what we do. Anyways, one of the funniest things I heard recently, for some reason, it's probably not going to be funny to anyone else, but I was listening to a radio talk show and they were talking about um, AOC, the, the girl that we're talking about, um, Alexandria. yeah. yeah. I can't ever say her name. Ocasio Cortex. Ocasio Cortez. Occasional Cortex. I can't remember what it is. <laughs> um, and the, the guy was describing her and he says, like, you know, I like I like the way that she that she looks all the time. Her eyes are so bright, it's like she's seeing color for the first time. <laughs> 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 and I think that was a little yeah, bit it's like of a s- <laughs> slam. But anyways, we're all laughing and and uh someone will be listening to this podcast like you know, six years from now and she'll be president and now we're all going to look like fools. So
2: I sure hope not.
0: (laughs) Yeah, me
1: too. Me three.
0: Well, shall we wrap it up? We sure appreciate everything that you've uh, shared with us today, Alex.
2: No, I, I appreciate you guys taking the time to let me get on here and run my mouth for however long it's been. But I, I'm uh definitely looking forward to the to the new product and, and the relationship that obviously we've started and hopefully it is uh a lifelong relationship and once those uh decoys hit the ground you guys are gonna have to come on out to the frozen tundra next year.
1: That sounds good. That sounds awesome. I like the sound of the lodge alone. My yeah. goodness. Yeah, we like food. Yeah,
2: we'll probably have to drag you out of there sometime. Some guys don't like leaving because they just want the next meal.
1: <laughs> well, I also like the part about not having to set a decoy spreader crash blinds. I mean, you can't, I mean, that's well, win, win, win. win.
0: What?
2: We make you guys set f- up. <laughs> yeah. Well, well you've got to get the full experience.
1: Uh,.
0: <laughs> oh man. Uh, forget it then. So much for the royal treatment, huh? <laughs> it's funny to hear Brad talk that way because Brad's Brad's still I mean, you guys are all quite a bit younger than me, but I've kind of gotten to the point where it's like I kinda dread dread, you know, long setups and, and all that stuff. And I kinda if there's two fields to hunt and one of them has a, you know, a short cart push and one of them has a long, you know, muddy cart push, I'm even <laughs> even if the even if the short one has fewer birds i'm kind of like yeah let's let's do that one and even on my duck hunting like i'm doing things that i swore i would never never do it's like me and some friends of mine um built you know a big plush blind with a with a heater and and pellet stove in it and stuff and you know we're planting planting corn and things like that and that's a, lo- a far cry from from hunting on you know the bays and um you know the lower river and all that stuff but it's like man the older i get the better all that stuff sounds
2: <laughs> well i'm telling you i mean i i'm not old by any means um but the experiences i've had you know over the years the stuff the the, the work we put in it's kind of like we can get the same outcome if we just do it this way it's just a little bit more luxurious and it's it's been a lot a lot more it's kind of like that pasture spot i mean it's not like you're scouting that particular spot we're scouting other spots for for feed fields but like that spot's just it's always there it's consistent and it's comfortable and i can make food so i like that
0: yeah that does sound awesome well we'll put a uh we'll put a link on our website to flatland flyways and um we'll put it uh, next to this podcast so people will know how to how to get in touch with you go out there and have a great time
2: well i i sincerely i mean that um i sincerely appreciate you guys put me on here and and the work that you guys are putting in and obviously the stressors and the, the hours um yeah i i can't say it enough I, I mean that that we your guys's hard work's not going unseen. we We definitely appreciate it and look forward to it. So Right on. Well thank you guys. Have a good rest of your day and I won't talk to you guys for a little bit, so have a good weekend too, so All
0: right, right on Alex. You too. All right, bud. Take care.